You may know cortisol as the stress hormone that increases belly fat. Well, it is that, but cortisol plays a role in a lot of other systems in your body. So when this stress hormone is chronically elevated, it can do some serious damage. And interestingly, elevated cortisol is a marker for depression and other mental health conditions. In today's episode, we explain how cortisol impacts your mental health and then share seven easy yet science-backed ways to lower cortisol almost instantly. Let's dive in. So I feel like everybody has a very negative connotation of cortisol because for a lot of people, particularly women, women. The, when you hear cortisol, you think about belly fat typically. Oh, yeah. And when I think about belly fat, I think about cortisol. Yeah. And honestly, I can't remember in our studies them ever really talking about the positives of cortisol. It was mainly more the negatives. Absolutely. If we did touch on it. Yeah. But you need cortisol. I mean, on our short list of the things that cortisol does, we, obviously we didn't get too deep. Like two of them... I wasn't expecting. I know. The problem with cortisol is when it gets elevated and it stays elevated. And that's what we're talking about today and seven ways that you can decrease it when it gets to that point. Because that's when you start um, gaining the fat in your belly area and see some of the immune issues and insulin resistance. But just really quick, the thing, you do need cortisol. Um, and, you know, normal levels of cortisol in your body to help with blood sugar control. It influences protein metabolism. It influences the immune system. It inhibits the secretion of inflammatory compounds, so prevents inflammation or compounds that could cause inflammation. Exactly. But this is all when it's at normal levels. Right, exactly. And maybe we should back up for a quick minute and just remind everybody that cortisol is commonly referred to as a stress hormone. Oh, yeah. Duh, that would be good to tell them. Yeah. Right. One of those hormones that is when you have that fight or flight thing that is released during that stress response so that you have this surge of energy and glucose and your body makes all these adaptations or adaptations in a few milliseconds so that you can outrun that bear. For sure. When I'm out running a bear, I'm really thankful for my cortisol. Yeah. And you know what I've read is that, you know, that's really how the stress response was designed for those kind of dangers. And, and so, very common but, still in today's modern well, times. <laughs> What's happened is we don't have those kind of dangers, but yet that same response gets triggered for all these smaller things. Oh, well, yeah. I it, And that's kind of taking a toll on health. Didn't mean to sidetrack us. No, no. I think you I did know, a great job we, explaining it. Maybe so. if we had more bears running after us. Um, I, know. I know. Maybe it would. we would just ride the wave a little better. Yeah. So cortisol is released like with epinephrine, adrenaline, um, like when you have, when you your body senses that stress. Right. And it's a good thing because it helps you get away. And the way it's designed is... That stress response, once you get away from the stressor, is supposed to go away. Right. It's supposed to, like, lower back down. Yeah, and, and, like, that should happen within several minutes, half hour, maybe two hours. Whenever you chill out. The problem is we never chill out these days. We don't. Our stress level, we come back maybe down to what we think is our normal 
but it's still stress. But also cortisol has a relationship with our circadian rhythms. I'm not super well versed on its direct relationship, but in let's call them like a typical person that isn't overly stressed, cortisol actually is at its highest in like the early to mid morning. Yeah, and I think it's supposed to be that way. That's like, yeah. It's supposed to be heightened then so that later in the day it falls and you can go to sleep at night. Exactly. Isn't that right? Yes. But, but I think what they're finding and why they may test your cortisol is they're finding that a lot of people who are chronically stressed, like it's higher in the afternoons, which makes sleep a problem, which then only makes all the, the other things yeah, a problem. Everything, including the cortisol, elevated cortisol levels worse. Yes. And I was reading that when your circadian rhythms are out of whack, that that does can also influence your cortisol levels as in like they're going to be out of whack too which so 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 it's kind of like chicken or egg right but either way they're all related well it's kind of like and I always hate to go back to inflammation because I feel like I'm people think I'm bringing it up just because I have cookbooks on that but anything that is any kind of physical or mental or chemical or biological any kind of change that's initially a stress on the body you know, and any kind of stress is going to trigger inflammation. And so any kind of, where was I going with that? I don't know, but I think it actually, you like naturally segued perfectly into like, what are some of the conditions that arise from that, like perpetually high cortisol? Okay. So we're leaving that in there. We're leaving that in okay, there. Okay. Yeah. Great. Because you were you you got my point across paused, somehow, even though I don't got know it across, even though I don't know what that point was. Yeah. Okay. As long yeah. as I'm connecting the dots for people, even if not myself, you're connecting them for me. So when your stress stays elevated and that stress response doesn't totally go away, which I would say is the case for a lot of us. Yeah. 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 There's that slow simmering burn of cortisol in the background. Yeah. It's kind of like. You were saying you kind of lost it last night with your kids. Oh, yeah. And then Carolyn asked me if I recorded it. And I said, no. (laughs) Why would? No, I did not. I probably should have. Maybe not. You probably think of last night as being really stressful. But there's a lot of stress leading up to that. Low-level stress that led into that. So it's not just about single events. It's what's underlying. To be clear, there was no bear in my house. Just... (laughs) children okay so some of those problems health conditions chronic conditions would be weight gain is one right we did talk about how you kind of gain you gain that belly fat that's hugely disappointing did you know though I mean I knew you gained fat typically in your abdominal area but did you know when your cortisol is elevated it actually also relocates fat from other places to your belly area. And that's the worst news I've heard all week. Yeah, I did not know that until we were researching this. It moves them to the belly well, fat And area. Not, not only is that just visually unappealing to me, like we don't, I, you know, that's not something that we aspire to have as men or women, but also... Like a higher ratio of belly fat or like fat that that you know congregates in the belly area also is a predictor of other chronic conditions later in life. Yep. 
So it's like a, it's a double whammy. It all goes back to inflammation. It does. <laughs> See, it really does. Okay, will you go through some of the others? Because I feel like you are really well versed in some of these other um, health conditions. Okay, well, problems. ongoing elevated levels of cortisol leads to insulin resistance, which in turn can increase your risk for diabetes. The cortisol is designed in the stress mechanism to dull the effect of insulin. And so when cortisol stays elevated because you haven't totally de-stressed and it sticks around, that slowly makes your cells become insulin resistant. Uh, And it makes it insulin, it dulls insulin for the purpose of Making sure that it gets that blood, sh- the the glucose, glucose in your blood yeah. into parts of your body that need to use it. Yes, um, and then if that continues, then the pancreas is constantly struggling because the pancreas is going to start making more insulin because what is making it and is it and working? Not, yeah. So the pancreas struggles to keep up with the high demand for insulin. Your glucose. Blood glucose remains high, and you just can't keep up, and that's when diabetes, type two diabetes. Develops. Yeah, can develop. Yeah. So another problem is, you know, different gastrointestinal problems. And really what ha- what happens to, to skip some of the biochemical reactions in your body that are actually happening at a cellular level in your GI. Put more simply, what they think is that digestion and absorption are compromised when your cortisol levels are high. And so then what happens is you can have like a little bit of indigestion. Your The lining of your GI system can become irritated and inflamed. And we've talked about this a little bit before, that when that lining in your GI system becomes irritated or inflamed, it's permeability increases, mm-hmm. right? So there's not as... It, it lets things through that maybe it shouldn't be letting through, right? Or it doesn't let things through that it needs to be letting through. So anyway, all of this to say that high levels of cortisol then, now that we've sort of explained it, basically um, can lead to irritable bowel syndrome or you can see like a colitis, you know, mm-hmm. uh, flare up. in your bathroom habits, I would guess. Exactly. You're exactly. like, what is this Ugh. on top of already being having all this stress? Exactly. Yes. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, what else? Okay. It's elevated, ongoing elevated levels of cortisol start to suppress the immune system. Now, I did mention earlier that when cortisol is at normal levels, it does a good thing and it stops those inflammatory compounds, which keeps the immune system from having an inflammatory response. But over time... When these levels stay high, these efforts that are trying to reduce the inflammation, reduce these inflammatory components, start to suppress the immune system. And it's kind of like the immune system's working really hard to reduce the infl- potential inflammation and these inflammatory components. And so it's it's tired. It's not at 100% for when bacteria or the flu virus you come in contact with that. So it can't fight it off as well. So you're more likely to get sick. Yeah. Which, I mean, I think about it from a very basic perspective of like, oh, this is why when I'm super stressed out, I end up getting sick. Or like I'm so stressed out leading up to a vacation and then I, not because I'm going on vacation, but like there's something, there's the preparation for the vacation and then there's all the other things and it's stressful. And then you get there and you're like, hallelujah. And then wham, I get sick. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> you know, or yeah. like I'm sick over the holidays kind of thing. Yeah. 
I feel like this explains like what we probably feel like we understand like anecdotally that happens. Yeah. Okay. And then this next one's really interesting to me. Fertility and libido. Yeah. So ongoing high levels of cortisol, it seems like it does two things. One, because it's produced in the same gland in the same like glands part of your body where your sex hormones are produced, when you have like high levels of cortisol, it will actually you know, hinder the like typical optimal production of your sex hormones. So that's depressing. But then also it's been linked, and I don't know, Carolyn, if you know, because I I don't, but it's also been linked to erectile dysfunction as well as like normal ovulation and menstrual cycles. You know, I can't speak to the erectile dysfunction. (laughs) Like, do you know the mechanism? I can speak to um, a little bit to the ovulation and menstrual cycles because what I've learned um, in my research, specifically with hormones and with inflammation, is like one gets off and that throws all the others off. And it may not be a big deal at first, but it's... It's the snowball effect. It's the snowball effect. And one gets off and it causes some inflammation here and that causes changes in other ones and that causes more you know it just you can't have one hormone out of whack and not see it somewhere else in the big picture of all the hormones right huh joy 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 so so we'll stop pretending that we are gynecologists and urologists Please. and obstetricians yes allergies, i think <laughs> exactly And let's get back into our wheelhouse, which would be mental wellness. You know, I, before you and I decided to do this topic, like you and I had had the conversation about how, you know, the connection between cortisol and inflammation. And so, you know, we knew, or I felt like I knew inherently that there had to be some connection between cortisol and mental health, but I didn't actually realize um, how the like, big role it the, played. the big role that it played. I didn't either yeah. until you pulled some of this research. Yeah. So it turns out that cortisol is actually considered one of the most significant biomarkers of anxiety disorders and depression. And what that really means is that it, you know, measuring cortisol levels can actually help with understanding if there is an undiagnosed anxiety disorder or undiagnosed depression. But also, it's not just about it being high. Both a deficiency and an excess of cortisol can impact. Well, it's one of those hormones. Health. I'm telling you, it gets out of its normal range. It's like a ripple effect. Yeah. Which pro- and I guess it could affect your um, neurotransmitters. Did you find that? Well, I Sorry. I don't know. I don't know if it can affect your neurotransmitters. But what I did see is that, and we'll get into it a little bit more, is that when cortisol is high, what it does is it actually starts to kill some of the neurons in some of the parts of your brain. That's lovely. And so when it kills the neurons, <laughs> that's what it leads to atrophy or well, like... That explains my memory loss. A shrinking. Yes. No, really. The damn stress has killed my brain cells. <laughs> it- no, it literally is. It literally, it literally is. It is. This is thought, this is not just. I thought it was doing real good de-stress. So you would you, could you have to say it present tense? It literally did. It literally did. It literally did. Okay, so 
Carolyn, you might be able to explain this better, that like initially, if you have that quick, that cortisol spike, it actually causes euphoria. But it's the prolonged exposure that then leads to like irritability, emotional lability, and depression. But also on the flip side, a cortisol deficiency can also cause irritability and depression. But one of the other more common symptoms of a cortisol deficiency is apathy. Yeah. Well, I can, I think I get the euphoria and then how that plummets. Because think about like adrenaline. Like at first you're like, yeah, like raring to go. Yeah. But then you just become like tired and wired. Yeah. You know, or what I'm like, saying? or you, or you crash, right? Or you crash. Yeah. Yeah. So, and I, that's kind of how I view kind of the long term effect of the stress response on the body. Yeah. Like, yeah. Great at first. This is great. And then, and then it just deteriorates. That was a really great way to describe it. Thank you. The research shows that people with depression, bipolar disorder, schizophrenia, all typically have high levels of cortisol. Like, that, that's pretty common. And then, for people who have depression and anxiety together, they have even higher cortisol levels. We need to get our cortisol tested. Although, I, I, I think it's one where, like, kind of like CRP, C-reactive protein, like, you need to know kind of your baseline oh. to be able to interpret... You remember right. at different times. I may be wrong on that. Well, and the time I did and the time I did of day. Think the time of day plays a big role too. Yeah. So they have to. That has to be like taken into. I guess you could take your cortisol in the morning and then the afternoon as well. And if your afternoon's higher, you know that's not good. Right. Ooh, yeah, that's a really good idea. No, but and I, I like this stat. Thank you. Um, that women tend to react more strongly to cortisol functions fluctuations excuse me yeah but i see you like it and i don't like it i don't like it oh it's like great great yeah i, I was gonna say let's we add have one so more many thing. more hormones like we're dealing with that's true that is true that fluctuate so then you kind of get into so now we know all right cortisol not good for your mental health but then like what is it about cortisol like how why does it impact your mental health and so, of course, with a lot of the research that we talk about, they don't understand the mechanism fully, but they know that cortisol has a direct effect on two key parts of your brain that are involved. Okay. So the part of your brain that's most affected by cortisol is the hippocampus. And when you have, like, because that part of your brain is the most affected – like they have the most receptors in there for cortisol. So when you are have like that persistent high cortisol levels, this is where I was talking about it starts to kill neurons. And so you have atrophy in that part of your brain. So short-term atrophy apparently is reversible. Long-term atrophy, however, is not. And so like for people who have had like major depression um, or have gone, you know, with like untreated – mental health conditions, like they unfortunately will potentially have some long-term atrophy in that part of their brain. So I was looking at what the hippocampus does. If it specifically is tied to memory, it is tied to memory. Uh. Um, <laughs> but it says it the, um, it controls the limbic system, which is associated with our functions of feeling and reacting. And so when those structures, the structures are supposed to help us control feeling and reacting and the endocrine or hormonal system. And so I guess when you kill some of those cells, 
it doesn't work as well anymore. Right, which then doesn't it affects your memory and your emotions. Yeah. Great. I feel like this is like one big wet blanket of an episode. Okay. Well, it's going to get better it up and we're talk going about the to good give them stuff. Some, some good stuff. Yeah. All right. So then you got the, more? The, the, just a little bit more. So the other part of the brain that it affects is the HPA access. And when, like, basically cortisol can, high levels of cortisol over time can just cause like a dysregulation or a disruption of how the HPA access functions. And so that apparently has a direct impact on the mental state of people. Oh, yeah. You mess that up and that messes up your sympathetic nervous system, your parasympathetic, and you're all out of whack. So now we're all just out of whack. Yeah. So <laughs> let's talk about how to reduce these elevated cortisol levels because it, these are very shockingly easy to do things. Yeah. Well, you can do like today. That's the best part that I love is when we can give advice to people that's like, oh, you can go do this now. Yeah. Now. Yeah. The very first one, the one that you have listed in our notes that says number one, uh-huh. that's been a hot topic in my house this week, and I'm not touching that with a 10-foot pole, so I'm going to let you okay. advise people on that one. Number one is get a pet or spend time with your pet mm-hmm. if you already have one. There are studies showing that taking care of and being with your pet for just 10 minutes lowers your cortisol. It also increases oxytocin which is usually that. It's a neurotransmitter that's connected to serotonin and dopamine. It's also one you usually hear about um, associated with childbirth and breastfeeding, that kind of thing. But it's it's connected to serotonin and dopamine, and those three are neurotransmitters are what are commonly referred to as your happy hormones. So you're decreasing cortisol and increasing one of your happy hormones. I love that. That's so easy. I absolutely love that because also they say that like a chronic high levels of cortisol can lead to a serotonin deficiency. So now we are counteracting that. Which makes you think they really need to – I mean, I love that you see some pet therapy like in hospitals now, but it really needs to be more and maybe even in school. Yeah. We we have a a dog at my daughter's school. Yeah. But I'm not sure if it's there for emotional support. Like I don't – really understand the kids all love it so it definitely plays an emotional support role but i don't remember why they originally got it but yeah its name is foxy and it's a really cute little yellow lab well both of my kids want to declare one of the cats an emotional support animal oh (laughs) good luck with that you're gonna support cat you're gonna have to take that one on the road with you then okay can i do this next one yes all right. You're really excited about I'm this I'm so one. excited about this one. This next one is take your medication. And now I realize we don't all take medication, but I take medication. And so what I was excited about this is that the research shows that a lot of the prescription medications that you would take, and especially SSRIs for mental health like conditions, yes, actually can help bring those cortisol levels down and they can also help um, I guess, re-regulate the HPA access, like take it out of dysregulation. And so that's why I was like, oh, I mean, that's just a reminder of like, if you're, if you're, if you have symptoms of depression or anxiety or something else, and you're on the fence about taking something, may, maybe you want to revisit that conversation with well, your doctor. And I think it, 
again, it goes back to, um, I mean, you're talking about big things like you're talking about, you know, um, controlling neurotransmitters and hormones with antidepressants, thyroid medicine, anything like that. And so if you aren't regularly taking it, that's a stress on the brain or the body. Yes. And so that, you know, anytime you, you know, you need to do it consistently. Correct. Because not doing that stresses the body, which yes. doesn't hurt your cortisol, which help your cortisol any. So I can see how taking them regularly is kind of like provides kind of a sense of calmness, almost regularity. Yes. Homeostasis. Exactly. For your body. Oh, yes. gosh. Look at that big word. Okay. So the next thing that you can do is fish oil. And I guess we should probably get a little bit more specific and say an omega-3 supplement, which we've talked about before that is really beneficial um, to your overall mental health. Um, but there was a pretty recent study, a 2021 study, that did look at taking omega-3 supplement and cortisol. And what they found was that compared to the placebo group, so the group who got a fake pill, that those who took these omega-3 supplements had um, produced less of the stress hormone cortisol and lower levels, had lower levels of a pro-inflammatory compound during a stressful event in the lab. So um, what I, like, basically, like, it seems like if I'm interpreting this correctly, is that <laughs> you take this omega-3 supplement and it blunts kind of the stress response that your body might have, mm -hmm. um, which is a good thing. And now I imagine if you have that, um, you know, those omega-3s on board pretty consistently, it's just going to help lower cortisol or keep it low. Yeah. Well, and, and, and omega-3s are the one nutrient that really have a direct um, anti-inflammatory impact, like nutrient-wise. Yeah. And so, you know, anytime you can keep that at bay or, you know, kind of calm the stressor. Right. Um, or make your body not react. And you talked about before about how it's really important to look for one that has a combination of DHA and EPA. Because those are the two yeah. omega three fats that are like the that most your brain really needs. Yeah, that we usually don't get. Um, yeah, and you want like a sixty forty breakdown. Sixty percent EPA and forty percent DHA, right? Ish. So. Ish. Yes, I'll have to go back and look. I believe it's EPA to DHA. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. What's the next one? What number are we on? Oh, um, I've lost track of the numbers. I think this is number four. And it is your current fave. Yes. Number four, ashwagandha. And if y'all have not listened to our episode on ashwagandha, you need to. Because we were blown away adaptogen and what it can do. So ashwagandha helps to stabilize the body's response to stress by improving the body's resistance towards, towards stress. So it can tolerate more before it loses it. <laughs> Yup. And it lowers cortisol. So um, a 2014 review of studies found that rarely taking ashwagandha can help manage anxiety. Um, there was a randomized control trial, too, that we mentioned in the ashwagandha episode that looked specifically at anxiety and depression. And they gave one group ashwagandha for 60 days. They gave the other group just a placebo. The, in the ashwagandha group, after 60 days, there was a significant reduction in 
um, depression, in anxiety, and in stress. Like we're talking about 77% decrease in depression based on the the tests that they were using. 75% reduction in anxiety, 64% reduction in stress, and a 28% reduction in cortisol. Yeah, they like measured cortisol. Yeah. Which is awesome. But what remember what we remembered, and this is why you need to go listen to the episode, you got to be consistent. And you yeah. really have to, I think the benefits really kick in around day 60. And that's been the hardest part about ashwagandha for me is like, I am not consistent with yeah, it. Yeah, that, I'm kind of, I've never, I don't think I've ever reaped the benefits because I can't be consistent. Yeah. But if you are consistent, it really can make a big difference. Yeah. All right. Number five. Okay. This is all you, Carolyn. I'm all sorry. you. Um, adopt an anti-inflammatory diet, or not necessarily adopt a full-blown anti-inflammatory diet, um, but just make choices that promote um, a decrease of inflammation, or make choices that don't cause inflammation. Right. You know. Right. So the most significant contributors to inflammation um, in the things we eat are like saturated fat and trans fats, um, caffeine and excess, alcohol and excess, um, an inadequate intake of like your vitamins and minerals and antioxidants. And you want to get your antioxidants from foods, low fiber, sedentary lifestyle, carrying extra body fat, and then a high glycemic load. So that like having a big old carb fest. Yeah. And, and like the carbs that are refined like mm-hmm. white processed. you know white and processed and loaded with sugar etc yeah so to minimize inflammation those are what you need to avoid so they won't because those can cause inflammation to minimize existing inflammation which everybody has some level in their body you really want to choose a lower glycemic diet so which basically means more whole foods yeah doesn't mean you can't have carbs it just means more whole less refined foods um, avoid your trans fat, sat, um, limit saturated, um, reduce caffeine, drink alcohol in moderation, increase your consumption of plant foods, um, and then get meet the recommendations for omega-3 mm-hmm. fatty acids. Mm-hmm. All yeah. things we've talked about a lot before, yeah. but great, great pieces of advice. The, the more you can lower inflammation in the body, that's going to help your overall stress going on in the body and that's going to help your cortisol we have two more and i know that i really got excited about taking your medication but i have to say these two are are my favorites number six is to get outside which i feel like pretty soon people are going to think we are just like big old proponents of constantly being outside which is kind of funny because we do like to be outside but we're also we also really are indoor cats, especially as the weather gets hotter here in Alabama. Yeah. Getting outside, Carolyn has talked about this before when we did an episode on it, is that you can lower your cortisol within a few minutes of being outside. Um, and one way to measure cortisol is through your saliva. And so a study found that the salivary cortisol level significantly decreased when people spent time in nature for 20 to 30 minutes like that was the greatest impact which really is not a lot and let's also remember it doesn't mean you have to be physically active no it doesn't mean you have to be hiking for those 20 to 30 minutes no no we can just be sitting outside we can be sitting on your beautiful brand new back patio yes we could yeah yeah 
Um, and then also the benef- there's benefit from just like being exposed to that like green space. It can trigger the parasymp- parasympathetic nervous activity, and that's the system in your body that relaxes or undoes the effects from stress that's caused by the sympathetic nervous system. They get so confusing. I know. Nervous systems. It, this, there are, why one why calms, must there be so many? One hypes you up, but yeah. And, you know, I've read some that, like, maybe you can't get outside, but sit by a window where you can see green space. Yeah. I mean, it, it can make a difference. It really does make a difference for me when I'm at, at the office all day and mm-hmm. I'm starting to like claw at the walls. Yeah. I'll go and I'll sit by the window or yeah. I'll go for a walk down the streets of coffee shop. Yeah. Anyway. Okay. All right. Take it home with the last one. This one is one of the best. Laugh. <clears throat> so laughter mitigates the effects of stress. And there is actually research to prove this. I love when they research something so positive. I know. So it. Um, mitigates the effects of stress by decreasing the stress hormones that are found in the blood. So laughter decreases levels of cortisol, epinephrine, growth hormone, and then a um, metabolite of dopamine, which the decrease of all of those indicates a reversal of the stress response because all of those are released when you have a stress response. And so if you can reduce all of those... Um, But what's even more fun is they did an initial study um, where they initially found that laughter decreased these. But then from that first study, they kind of, they started to ask, like, could the anticipation of laughter also decrease cortisol? So they did a second study and they had a group of 16 men, granted this was small, um, and half were told they were going to watch a humorous video. Um, that they had selected earlier. The other half were told that they were going to sit in a room with magazines. And so they monitored the men's stress levels like 30 minutes before, 15 minutes before, and then during and then after. Um, and re- they found that levels of all three stress chemicals were decreased before, during, and after in the men who got to watch the humorous video they picked out. I love that. I know. So just thinking about laughing. That's fantastic. I know. Um, oh, and 30 minutes after the videos were watched, cortisol was down in these men by 67%. 30 minutes after they watched a funny video? hmm I'm going to stop giving Will a hard time when he's watching, like, Instagram reels and videos of stuff on the couch because now I realize it's probably good for his stress. Maybe that's what we're missing. I mean, we don't sit still enough to watch a YouTube video or an Insta- or. Or TikTok. A, yeah, TikTok or an Instagram reel. Yeah. I saw something funny on Instagram the other day. I might have posted it um, in my stories where it said that, um, uh, no, I, I'm not on TikTok. I watch TikTok yeah. videos on Instagram as Instagram reels like later. every other adult does. Yes. Yeah. And it said, I watch them two weeks later. Right. Exactly. <laughs> I'm like, yep. Yes. It me. Yes. Okay, so cortisol, its I would say it's likely has been elevated in most every adult at times. It may be elevated in your life if you've got stress now. But little things like this can make a big difference because the real key is chilling out that stress response because that's what drives the cortisol up and then the plethora of health problems. Right. Yeah. And 
the nice part is we just gave them seven ways to do it almost immediately, except for maybe the getting a pet part. But you could go and spend time with your pet or your neighbor's pet. Um, you could volunteer at a shelter. Well, look at you. <laughs> yes, you can do that too. <laughs> Um, not knocking it. I just was not expecting you to say that. You really caught me by surprise. But you're right. Like if you if you just spend a little time trying to lower the cortisol on a regular basis, it's gonna have an overall better effect. I don't really know how to take that, Barley. <laughs> I know you're an animal lover. I just here's what happened is in my mind, you said you could volunteer at a shelter. And immediately a picture popped into my brain of you volunteering at a shelter and that was really unexpected for me yeah i've never done it i just i don't know why it popped into my head if you told me madeline would but i just so that was the visual it was like i had an immediate visual of you in a shelter kennel with like cats and dogs and no i was thinking about somebody like in new york city who like couldn't have a pet because of space or you know i understand yeah and no, I think it's a great suggestion. I think it's a great suggestion. I just anyway. Okay, well let's wrap this one up. Thank you so much for joining us for the Happy Eating Podcast. I'm Briarly Horton. And I'm Carolyn Williams. If you liked this week's episode, then don't forget to rate and leave us a review on iTunes. And be sure to hit the subscribe button so you'll never miss a new episode. We can't wait to have you back at our table next week for a brand new episode. Bye. Bye. The contents discussed in the Happy Eating Podcast, such as advice, studies, text, graphics, images, and other material discussed or presented on the site or podcast are for informational purposes only. Content is not intended to be a substitute for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your mental health professional or other qualified health providers with any questions you may have regarding your condition. Never disregard professional advice or delay in seeking it because of something you have heard on the Happy Eating Podcast. If you are in crisis or think you may have an emergency, call your doctor or 911 immediately. If you're having suicidal thoughts, call 1-800-273-TALK, that's 8255, to talk to a skilled, trained counselor at the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline. If you are located outside the United States, call your local emergency line immediately.